welcome to Texas Storytellers. We're back again. I'm Terry Woods. I'm Mark Hader, and it's great to be back again, Terry. Yeah, and yeah. we're still brought to you by Woodlands Online. I cannot remember that to save my... And by the way, there are several people out there who are thinking, you know, I would really like to sponsor this show. Uh, <gasps> really? I just don't know why you wouldn't. And uh, particularly... Well, then we could go on for a little longer. Yeah. If you've got, a, you know, if you're in charge of a spook house or something, that would be because we're getting ready to tell uh, uh, We promised another story. ghost story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that would be something I, I would recommend, and I've already recommended to the uh, owner of the station or the uh, president of the United States, somebody... But I would like Dunkin' Donuts to uh, oh. sponsors, but any anybody really. But that'd be nice. Uh, but we do have a scary story, and um, oh man, something else. I'm going to read a, a bio. A sh I hope it's a short bio of my mom, and I'm going to tell you that uh, every one of you out there needs to do this for yourself, and you need to tell your mom, please, mom, before you kick off, write down. Stories. I don't care how boring you think they may be. Leave us something to read to your grandkids and all. That's cool. And that's something that's coming up. But right now, I'm I'm in a scary mood. So uh, all right, hit us with something here, young lady. You know, last October I got to go to. Of course, it wasn't the first time I go there as much as I can. But last October was the last time that I went to Galveston and uh, walked. Uh, around the the strand and and uh, in the shops and so forth and so forth and I was with a group of ladies who were retired from Sam Houston, retired from A and M, and um, so forth and we just had a great time telling stories. Oh, now this is not one of them, but it is it is connected to Galveston. Were y'all telling scary stories or just stories about? It? We were telling everything. Oh, okay. Everything. You know, I hope you were taking notes because I would like to be in on some. Well, you know, I just never know. Okay, the Galveston. Girls get together, Galveston. Scarce. All right, this is Gulf Coast Henley Row, two thousand to two thousand six Strand Street. They're friendly, says Cheryl Jenkins, manager of Galveston's Electric Henley Market. I went there. Whoa, that, is, it, trip. Yeah, in fact, is it I have really a picture. on the stream or is it down it's, the road? Well, yeah. it's it's down a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Oh. But I have a picture of myself in front of it. Neato. She's talking about the non-corpial habitants with whom she's worked in Huntley Row, the oldest commercial structure in the Strand Historic District since 1990. Not surprising that Henley Row is a hot spot for supernatural activity. Completed between 1855 and 1858 for shippers and cotton brokers, it was the town's tallest structure during the Civil War. The roof doubled as a Confederate lookout for Union ships. Galveston and nearby barrier nearby barrier islands history have been laced with tragedy. It was the site of a bloody Civil War fight and the serial epidemics of yellow fever um, the pop that, that overcame the populace. Hurricanes blast through there regularly in the 1900. Storm left up to 12,000 casualties and the worst national, natural disaster in U.S. history. No wonder Texas writer Brian Woolley 
said, called Galveston and said that an old cemetery with a beach attached. Uh -huh. That is, yeah. This staircase is where the mysterious lady in white is seen. And there's a photo there by, uh, oh, it's not here. No, no. The resident ghosts of Henley Row represent aspects of Galveston history. There's the Confederate soldier seen on the roof and around the building. The bloodied teenage factory worker ooh, of the building's uh, cotton grading days. The lady in white and the running and playing little boy and little girl are thought to be uh, uh, victims of the 1900 storms. The upper floors house the upper floor is house apartments and offices now. But Henley's Market's glass ceiling reveals views of stairs and landings and, of course, apparitions. During renovations, workers reported tools mysteriously moving around. Jenkins and staff recall other spooky experiences some years ago. A friend gave her an old photo of Dr. Wilbur from the house on Church Street. That's always displayed in the shop. When Hurricane Ike inundated the building with 10 feet of water in 2008, the photo went undamaged, while many other things were destroyed. Every year on November 1st, Jenkins constructs an elaborate Day of the Dead altar that includes the photo and lighted candles. Before closing, the staff follows a three-person backup routine to ensure the candles are completely extinguished, even dousing them with water afterwards. Yet almost every year, one or more candles are burning the next morning. And Jenkins has photos of lighted candles at night taken by passersby through the shop window. Uh, perhaps Dr. Wilbur is afraid of the dark. Oh, my. Uh, have you... <sighs> and you were there. I, I was there. I think we're going to have to go there at night. We'll have to go there at midnight, it appears. We'll have to get uh, Justin, our producer. Maybe he can uh, video the whole thing because we're going to see some serious two two stuff. three in the morning when we can see those uh flickering lights in the windows have you ever and watched a little boy and little girl running around it's kind of Woo! sad by the way we do have a story about the there's a billion stories about the hurricane of 1900 the worst disaster 4000 or something that they know of uh died uh but anyway, have you seen uh, something bizarro or uh, something ghost-like in your uh, short history of life? Maybe nothing like like the things that you see written down, the things that you imagine. Maybe you, you put them way out of your head or you occupy your mind with other things so those things don't happen. So maybe, but nothing to frantically tell, no. Yeah. I'll tell you, uh, since I got my uh, uh, cataract surgery, I've been seeing uh, 
a lot of things. <laughs> Doubles of stuff. I'm sorry. I need to get another one. But, you know, and I can see things out of the corner of my eye. And, you know, all through life you'll see stuff through the corner of your eye. Or there's a door with a pane in it. And something catches your eye and there was somebody there. Um, anyway, that kind of stuff. But what I, I have experienced is uh, stuff uh, just... <laughs> moving in the house. I've never seen it, but something happens mm -hmm. that is just not right. And uh, I don't I, I I don't think it's ghosts. I'm pretty sure we've got gnomes. They're terrible. Gnomes. Tracy, they come in in uh, Tracy, Harry. Uh, they come in and they move stuff. Let me tell you this one story, okay? Okay. Okay. I was going to give a talk to some group. I don't even remember who they were, but one of my um, uh, things I was going to bring to demonstrate my story was this solid uh, steel pipe. It, I mean, it wasn't a pipe. It was just solid bar. It was about this big. And when I was giving my, when I was trying to think of what I was going to do, I uh, put the, the bar on my table sitting upright. And at one time I had my a pen or something and I balanced it on top and I was just thinking. And anyway, finally I, I moved it. When it was time to go, I went, Kay went with me, and by the and, uh, uh but I didn't go with the bar because I couldn't find it. And I said, Kay, come here, go to the desk. And she went to the desk and I said, I don't see it. Do you see it? She said, no. And she took her hands and moved all over the desk. We went, I gave the talk and came back. And when I went into the study, uh, I said, Kay, come here. And that bar was right there in the middle of the desk, standing up with the pin on top of it. And Kay had put, and I said, I don't know, that's just weird as it can be. So to this day, I, by the way, we moved from that house. Uh, oh, you know, I after, bet you did. After 23 years. <laughs> There's some bad juju around here. Anyway, that was, uh, and folks, by the way, if you have a story, a scary story or oh, something. you know, yeah. Share it. Uh, yeah. I'm sure there's a, a place right now on your screen. You can see how to contact uh, uh, us or the station, and uh, we'll <laughs> like to hear from you. See what uh, is going on. Anyway, fascinating. Um, you know, I was going to get past ghost stories and talk about your mama and talk about my mom. You know, we uh, not I me. Mean, my mom had. There were seven kids in her family. And there were seven kids. She had seven kids, which I thought was uh, coincidental. But uh, what happened later in life when all the women, I think it was 94, something like that, one of my aunts said, why don't we write down our childhood stories and, you know, uh, print them up and so the kids can see them and all. And so they did. And mom wrote one. And of course, I've got all of the ants who did it, and I put it in a folder, and I just pulled mom's out the other day. I don't know when I read it, and I thought I would read this as a way of encouraging you. I don't care how mundane you may think your past is. You've got stories, and if you would just jot some down, it's one thing to remember them, but as you go along, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, Terry, but uh, after a while, my brothers will tell stories that uh, I know were wrong because I was there and they are telling that they were the person who did such and such and I happen to know they were not the person that did such mm -hmm. and such. So that's what happens to you. So while you've still got brain matter, 
it would be great, and I'm marginal on that right now. It'd be great if people wrote stuff down. That being said, I'm going to read this to you. My mom uh, was born in Bristow, Oklahoma. It's uh, about 40 miles west of Tulsa uh, along the turnpike. And uh, anyway, and, uh, her, her name was Tea Garden. Uh, and I, for years, I can't remember if it's T-E-A or T-E-E, but mom really? spelled it T-E-E. Okay, she spelled tea it T-E-E. Tea Garden, but I don't think, I don't know. Anyway, here's uh, the story of Elsie Teagarden, part of it. What a cool name. <laughs> Elsie Teagarden? Yes. Uh, she had a sister named Bertha uh, Teagarden. Bertha's a bad name. I mean, it's not bad. Elsie's bad enough. She's got a cow name. Anyway, let me start going here. <laughs> it's been said that the best gift parents can give their children is to, to love each other. Our dad and mom showed their love for each other in so many ways. They showed their affection for each other openly. At meals, Dad would reach under the table and put his hand on Mom's knees. That's my grandma's knees. Uh, he never left the house without a goodbye kiss. Mom always knew where he was going and when he would be back. Without their love and devotion to each other, I feel that our childhood memories would not be happy ones. That means a great deal. We felt so safe within our family because mom and dad were always there. Even though there were uh, uh, there were eight of us, uh, they treated us as individuals. Eight kids. I don't remember that mom, but I guess she had eight kids. Maybe she's counting uh, her mom. I don't know. It was important to uh, our parents that we attend school every day. Dad would uh, put on his hip boots and carry me on the sh on his shoulders to Washington Elementary on snowy days, and then he would be there to carry me back home when school was out. One day, Mrs. Woods had given me some licks on the palm of my hand for not following instructions on a paper. I went home and told Daddy. The next morning, he went to school to talk to her. He told her I didn't, uh, I didn't hear her, that I had a, a hearing problem caused by the whooping cough. Uh, from then on, I was uh, a front row pupil. Thanks, Dad. I've hated sitting on the front row uh, seats ever since. <laughs> By the way, she did. When she was young, she had whooping cough, and it she had a cough uh, throughout her. She lived to the age of 87, but it was uh, noticeable. Got it as a child. Anyway, she said, I was a pilgrim in our Thanksgiving Day play. Uh, Mom made my costume and a small pumpkin pie. I remember how I guarded that pie. I was sick a lot when I was a kid, and my mom took care of me like a professional nurse. She would get up on a cold winter's night to put warm oil and cloth on my ear. Uh, Pauline, that's her younger sister, mom's younger sister, you weren't the only one that had boils. <laughs> I had one on the end of my arm, on the bend of my arm. Mom told me to stop by and let Dr. Wells lance it. It felt better immediately. I love Dr. Wells. See, folks, you don't have to come up with a massive, important story. You may not even want to talk about boils, but it's part of your life. Uh, include them. One day, some of us were uh, standing on the front porch, and an airplane flew over, maybe the first one we'd ever seen, and Pauline cried and said, Airplane, airplane, fall on my head and kill me. Uh, that's just, I've heard that story so many times. Daddy made Vera the cutest dresser with little drawers. I think I was jealous one way to get our money was to save uh, was to see Daddy talking to someone in the street downtown, Bristow. At the time, it had uh, probably eight thousand people there. 
We would ask him for a dime. He would be too embarrassed to tell us no. We saved that money, uh, the whole dime, and went to see another chapter in the serial The Perils of Pauline at the Walmart, Walmart Theater on Saturdays. After supper, we would uh, do the dishes and gather in the boys' room to listen and watch radio programs. Daddy told me I made the best popcorn. Vera, I don't know where you got the idea. He thought Pauline made the best popcorn, but I did. Our mom always liked the snow. She would wake us up mornings to tell us it was snowing. She uh, let us make ice cream out of snow, sugar, and vanilla. We had this mean rooster. One morning it attacked my mom. Dad wrung its neck, and we had uh, rooster and dumplings the next day. Our mom made the lightest dumplings and the best dressing ever. On the turkey and dressing type stuff. Oh, it was good. On those uh, awful Monday wash days, I can never remember any of us kids helping our mom. Mom would say people uh, will think we were either the cleanest or dirtiest family because of the big washings on the line. We had uh, lots of fusses over whose time it was to wash dishes. After all the stuff in the garden died, Daddy made us a flying jenny. In the middle of the garden, he had lots of fun on it. Uh, I meant to look up a flying jenny. Terry, and I didn't. Do you have a clue? Not a clue. In the middle of, I remember his garden. I think maybe our producer will be able to tell us in a little bit, I hope. <laughs> anyway, a flying Jenny, ladies and gentlemen, my grandpa made. Um, uh, we had peach trees along the fence in our backyard, and sometimes the older kids would wrap up in sheets and climb the trees and scare us little kids. On Friday nights, we could vote on an ice cream supper or hamburgers. I always voted for hamburgers. Mom would make her own buns. Boy, they were good. Our 4th of Julys were great. One year, Mom and Dad bought uh, cases of pop, and we had lemonade and orange aid. We would have uh, fried chicken and other stuff. That night, we would go put in the uh, go out to the park for fireworks. Bud and Kennedy, uh, Scott, Bud was her brother Kennedy, I don't know the man, used to uh, put firecrackers under a big lard bucket. And it would uh, uh, make such a noise. We would go out to Grandma and Grandpa's house. Never met my great-grandma or grandpa. Uh, house after supper. It would be so dark. No street lights. I would uh, no sooner get there till I was ready to come home. They just had a coal oil lamp for light. Seemed like the loneliest place in the world to me. Our grandma would pick cotton until lunchtime, then go uh, fix a meal. Daddy thought uh, Grandma had to work uh, too hard. He said none of his girls would ever have to work in the field. Grandma always preferred Aunt Florence's kids to us. I hear that. But Grandpa was fun to be around. He would say, by jingos. I thought it was a cuss word, but I, I think he did uh, swear once in a while. I had a patch of freckles across my nose. I didn't know that, Terry. Mom was uh, washing my face, usually hard. Uh, she said she was trying to wash the freckles away. I can only remember seeing one picture of me when I was young. I don't know what happened to the pictures. I have never seen a picture of my mom young. She's about 20. Uh, I saw a picture of her when she was 20. Our Christmas was so happy at our house. Mom and Dad would uh, put stuff in our stockings the night before. We would go to bed early so that morning would come faster. Daddy would uh, have to 
warmed the room up before we could get up. We would keep yelling every five minutes to see if we could get up. Did you ever do stuff like that when you were before Christmas? We did. Mom, is it Christmas yet? Dad, is it Christmas yet? No, it's not yet. Go back to sleep, you... Anyway, I would usually have a doll and some beads and fruit in my stocking. Uh, for Christmas breakfast, Mom always made uh, cake donuts. Dunkin' Donuts. We had uh, turkey and dressing and all the trimmings for lunch and ate leftovers for supper. Remember the chocolate bonbons we always had for Christmas? I I uh, bought some one year not long ago just for the old for old times' sake, and I don't think they were eaten. I barely remember Daddy working at Mr. Walker's shoe store and at the cotton gin. They would have uh, carnivals at the end of uh, South Walnut. We would sit on the porch and watch the people go by. They would also have a skating rink there. Dad would come and watch me skate and brag on how good I was. Talk about talent. I was able to walk on my toes on the rug and he could have me, he would have me uh, to show off the people. One day when I came home from, uh, for lunch, dad had brought my senior ring and put it in, uh, in my plate. Ross had a Model T car that he took to school when he would uh, come home and would have a bunch of kids in the car. We called the room between the kitchen and the bathroom, the North Hall. I wish I could tell you more about it. That was, it seemed like it was huge. It was where you could run through and it was neat. It smelled like mothballs. Anyway, I used to, uh, used to make me a, a playhouse in that place. Anyway, on Thanksgiving, we would have a huge meal and then go out to the football field to watch the Purple Pirates play. Halloween nights were fun. We didn't know about uh, treats, only tricks. We would go bud hunting. Oh, my gosh, listen to this, uh, Terry. Bud hunting is picking people's flowers. Uh, oh, bud hunting. Yeah, but I'm sorry. Uh, that's terrible. And she says, that's a shame. You know, you go out, hey, pick all our friends and flower buds. Mom, I am just, uh, that's not fun. Anyway, um, it wasn't a pleasant time for us kids when the preachers were invited for a meal. We had to wait until everyone else to get through the, uh, through eating before we ate. Maybe there would be something besides a chicken wing left. We went to Missouri one summer, uh, to visit uh, Aunt Mary, that's where her tea gardens came from, Missouri. She lived in a two-story white house without screens. She fried chicken for breakfast. Uh, we would ride in the carriage pulled by a horse up and down the road in front of the house. My favorite picture of mom and dad is where they're standing by the car. Dad has his right leg up uh, on the running board and mom has her purse in her hand. My favorite picture of mom is where she's talking on the phone. She was, uh, she had on her apron and I remember that picture. Some of the girls were in the kitchen, uh, doing, uh, doing the dishes after a big meal. We were teasing, uh, about mom being on the phone while she was working. Then there's a picture of mom and dad in the kitchen getting a meal together. Dad's at the stove and mom's watching. Our dad's hobby was gardening. His picture, uh, was in the Bristol paper with the caption, Veteran Gardener on it. Under the picture, he said, Mr. T. Garden, who is 84 years old, has been an enthusiastic gardener for more than 40 years, and he still enjoys it. Our mom's hobby was helping other neighbors, uh, taking food to the sick. She loved her flowers and loved to quilt. She was the best cook, the best wife, and the best mom and grandmother. Everyone loved our mom and dad. 
After our mom's funeral, we all went back to the house. That afternoon, we took uh, songbooks and sang. Dad enjoyed it, and uh, it took his mind off of our mom. When our dad was in the hospital, Vera asked him if there was anything he wanted, and he said he wanted all his girls to be there. We were all there around his bed when he took his last breath. He used to say, Mother, haven't we got a good-looking bunch of girls? We really did. In my opinion, Oliver and Eva Jane uh, didn't do too bad bringing up Bud, Bertha, Ross, Edna, Dorothy, me, and Pauline, and Vera. Uh, we turned uh, out all right and all love each other. Our home at 810 South Walnut will always have pleasant memories for me. The haters have lived in so many places that I wonder where my kids think their home is. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, what a, you're absolutely correct. Everyone needs to do that for their yeah. own children and their grandchildren. Absolutely. And, you know, that includes us. I wrote something about my, my life with Dad. Uh, I haven't written anything about Mom. I've put articles about Mom, but uh, you just... It's very important to record that stuff. There uh, was a time, Terry, and I think you remember them, when uh, we wrote letters. And mm -hmm. that was... We, Kay has saved letters uh, from me in, in college and all, and I used to love to write letters. That's when I first got interested in writing. But do you remember? Okay, I got it done. Finally, send it off. <laughs> You're way, I don't know, yeah. a month later. Yeah. Oh, they answered my letter and said it, it was cool. Anyway, That's cool. Uh, great story. Now, my mom uh, did not do that, but she did... Um, put a cookbook together in her own handwriting. Yes. And uh, that's been um, given to um, family members, nieces, nephews. Every time somebody comes comes up and uh, they get mom's cookbook. And um, uh, we had uh, eight kids in my family. There were seven girls and one king. He lives in he, he yes he lives in Indiana and he's a, a chemistry professor. Oh my goodness! Yeah, Neato. And um, he's working from home now, like many, 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 many people. Yeah. But he loves it. Right. <laughs> many people do. They're not going back. Yeah, yeah. He loves it. He loves it. But so we have that cookbook, and um, that's been very, very precious for us. Yeah. yeah. So can't be. A lot of it can't be duplicated. No. And I bet your mom was like mine. She didn't measure a lot of stuff. No. Did it by sight. Okay, that, that needs a little more. Say, and you have to be really careful when you look at those recipes, too. <laughs> if you follow them to a tea, you <laughs> might get tea instead of coffee. Exactly. That's no question. <laughs> you know, I wanted to mention this, this other thing about the house where uh, Grandma and Grandpa lived. When we were kids, we ran all over it. It was huge. The porch was massive. It went all across the house, and we would, you know, and had a porch swing. We did everything. And when we went back, you know, uh, heck, probably 30 years ago even, went back just to look at Bristow, and the house, it looked small. It was all get out. And then we waited about 10 more years, went back, and it had just burned to the ground. Mm. Just 
nothing there and it just looked like a little house. It's weird how when you're a kid you Oh yeah, yeah. Sheesh. Well, we always went to my aunt's house, and it was a three-story house, and we, I thought the place was huge. And when I went back there with my children um, to visit my aunt, uh, who was there, and I looked at this house, and I'm going, where'd the huge go? <laughs> like, where, where'd the, the big rooms go? How did you fit that massive tree in here? <laughs> was, was our uh, vision so much... Uh, Worse back then than we see. I don't know, but the, you know it's what you think. Yeah. It's what you think. Oh, by the way, uh, uh, your your mom mentioned um, that uh, flying Jenny. Yeah. Oh, is that what? An uh, old tree stump. Good. With with, uh, with an old tree stump with a log across it and one great big huge nail and it went around and around justin you just i I mean he put that up and i was looking at it uh that's our producer and i I was saying what the sam hill is that all about that is the that's the flying it's like a teeter-totter that will that circles but it spins instead it goes up up and down yeah did you no i didn't either we had teeter-totters and uh we could hurt ourselves with those things just you know Mm -hmm. you go down and up uh i guess it's what you call you know, speaking of down and up has absolutely nothing to do with something else you've got for us here, which was, uh, you know, it's very timely considering the... Uh, well, it is, it's a timely article, and I, I chose it for a reason, as usual. Um, <laughs> I, you know, no, just pull this out. I would, yeah, yeah gotcha. the, well, the reason is um, the next show, we're going to be, we're going to be privileged to have a a guest or two. We're going to talk about a book that they wrote, and and basically what the book is is it is a um, book that explains this whatever we're going through, this pandemic, this mm-hmm. coronavirus, and it is written strictly to be read for children. So it's asking grandparents that we're talking about parents. And us to read this book to children. And, um, it was written by two professors from, uh, A&M that you mentioned before. Um, and, uh, they're going to come on the show and they're going to talk about the book. Neato. Now they'll be Skype or Zoom it, won't we? Or something like that. Yeah. Something, <laughs> something exactly like that. Yes. Yeah, something I, like that. Exactly. And, well, well, I'll mention this whenever they show up, whenever we get to hear that. But there's something to uh, say about that. But let's hear, uh, what you've got here. So I have another story from, um, see, and I, I, I've happens to be slept all the time. since then. Hang on. W. F. Strong. Not again. Oh, that's strong. Yeah, strong from the Texas Standard. This one was done March 22nd, 2020. That's when it was hitting. The silver lining of the COVID-19 pandemic, if there is one, seems to be that it it spares children. But the polio epidemic that raged off and on in the United States for about 40 years did the opposite. Indeed, it seemed to focus on children, whereas there is hope that COVID-19, like the flu, will weaken in warmer weather. This was written in March. Yeah. 
Um, polio was most aggressive in the summer months. As such, Texas was perhaps the hardest hit state of all. And now that, like I said, this was March. Now this is, we're in July, the July. last day yeah, of July. Part. And, um, we can probably say that same statement. Texas was perhaps the hardest hit state of all. Dr. Heather Green Wooten, a medical historian and author of the award-winning book, The Polio Years in Texas, Battling a Terrifying Unknown, told me the story of how Texas responded to the polio epidemic that terrified every state across the summer months, and especially Texas. Dr. Wooten told me that when San Angelo had an outbreak of polio in 1949, the hardest hit town per capita that year in the United States. It was a horrifying in scope for the city of 50,000 people. 60 children in San Angelo came down with polio in one summer. Many died. Movie theaters and swimming pools and public gatherings were shut down. Travelers passing through would roll up their windows so as not to breathe the potentially contaminated air. They wouldn't even fill up a low tire at the gas station for fear of taking the virus with them. Some residents refused to talk on the phone with anyone, believing that perhaps somehow polio could travel through the phone line. Yeah, that was in deep east Texas, but go ahead. This kind of fear gripped Texas every summer for years. Parents would not let their children swim or go to summer camp or do anything in groups in an effort to keep them safe. Sound familiar? It does. Houses were kept spotless and were scrubbed top to bottom to kill all the germs. In fact, Wooten told me, when mothers lost a child to polio, they suffered added anguish because they felt they would be judged as bad mothers and poor housekeepers. <laughs> they would explain to reporters that they had always kept a clean house and didn't understand how this could have happened. There was a public service song by Red River Dave, frequently playing on the, played on the radio in those days. It stressed cleanliness. A sample of the words of the lyrics was, Take care that all the food you eat and kitchen ware is clean. Kill the mice and make the roach, roaches go. That's the way to really whip that mean old polio. Whoa, what a lyrics are. Wow. Well, I looked him up. Oh. And uh, he had quite a few uh, uh, number one little ditties in the 30s and 40s. The response to polio was largely a grassroots one. With a common man and with, with the common man and children largely funding the research, the treatments, the hospitals, the rehab centers. March of Dimes, launched by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was enormously successful in this regard. It mobilized school children and civics groups of all kinds. Rotary International Kiwanis, the Masons, to collect dimes, quarters, and dollars for anyone and everyone. Theaters would play a, a short film, like The Crippler, before every movie, and then 
turn on the lights and collect donations from the crowd before they could leave. It was incredibly effective. The March of Dimes also introduced us to the concept of the poster child, one of the most persuasive fundraising strategies of all time. I can remember my mom, we, we would have our, uh, we had this uh, cardboard um, thing that you put the dimes in. It had the, it had the places for the dimes. Yeah. And we, I had one, my sister had one, and whoever the babies were in the, in the buggy uh, uh, did as well. And we would go from house to house because my mother was determined to collect yeah. as much as possible. My mom did that too. Collection receptacles is what it's called in these articles, in this article. In the form of little iron lungs were placed at cash registers everywhere, everywhere. Wooten said that the small donations coming from almost every American gave each person a stake in beating polio. I like that one year the March of Dimes national campaign was launched from the community of Dime Box, Texas. Oh, hey, how appropriate. That's about 70 miles east of Austin. Yeah. It's a nice ride from, from uh, my house to Dime Box. How's that for creative marketing? When World War II broke out, the March of Dimes feared that donations would dry up. However, FDR made beating polio part of the war effort. He said on the radio address, the fight against polio is a fight to the finish, and the terms are unconditional surrender. Big money entered the fight as well. Texas great oil men gave millions to build hospitals, treatment facilities, and fund research. Two of the greatest contributors were oil magnate Hugh Roy Cullen and politician Jesse Jones, both historically, um, both historically among Texans most generous philanthropists. Great institutions in Texas, like the Scottage Wright Hospital for Crippled Children and the Gonzales Warm Springs Rehab Hospital for Crippled Children, were among the best in the country, as was the Jefferson Davis Hospital in Houston. A fascinating side note is that these hospitals were also among the first institutions to be fully integrated, accepting all children, no matter what, on equal terms, regardless of race, religion, or creed. Mucha noted that the children took to integration beautifully and became each other's best therapy. Doctors found that putting them together helped them function as a team against the disease, cheering each other on against a common enemy. Now you know the rest of the story. Dr. Jonas Salk, funded by the March of Dimes, discovered the first vaccine for the virus in the early 1950s. Rather than getting a patent and becoming an instant billionaire, he made a gift of his vaccine to all of humanity. So, sheesh. I, I remember when I was a kid, my thought was, I am going to die one of two ways. I'm going to be hit by a car or I'm going to get polio. And... All I knew of polio was they showed the the iron lungs huge, and I had no idea what was happening to that kid in there. And uh, now you know they've got ventilators that they put on you, but then they had 
I guess it was pulling up your, I don't know what. It was pumping. It was. And uh, anyway, mm -hmm. fortunately, there's a vaccine. And uh, many people in the country say, no, 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 vaccine is messing you up. I remember uh, that great big, huge, and it probably isn't huge at all, but I thought it was then. The great big, huge um, cafeteria-style uh, building that we went to to get our first polio shots. And um, I don't think there were sugar cubes at first. I think there were big needles. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. You know, something else we need to remember is we're out of time. Good oh. grief. I did, uh, time went by so fast. Uh, that's awesome. That story really that, took that me we, back. That we did all of this in this short of a time. Yeah. I hope everybody enjoyed I do too. I, I hope did. they're not slapping their heads. God, great people. <laughs> it's been a blast. Thanks, Terry. Been a good day. Hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, and I'm Terry Woods. Mark Hader. And this is Texas Storytellers brought to you by Woodlands Online. You can watch this show on Woodlands Online. Our Roku channel over the air at KVQT HD21. You can listen to this on woodlandsonline.com slash podcast or on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Or watch the video version on woodlandsonline.com. And don't forget, you can be a sponsor. <laughs> and right. do come next. Yes. Come back next time. Right. We'll be here. Hopefully. See you. Bye. Thank you.